We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that slays us, that lays us exposed. A sermon, if you look at the front of your bulletin on page three, where David Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old British evangelical pastor, one time said, if it were not for the doctrine of justification, justification by faith alone, I would never look at the Sermon on the Mount. Because it is a sermon before which we all stand completely naked and altogether without hope. Far from being something practical that we can take up and put into practice. It is of all teaching the most impossible if we were left to ourself. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture, a snapshot of the picture of you in the future brought to the present. It is what Christ intends for his people to be because we are justified by faith in his finished work. Chapter 5 speaks to the width of his mercy. Chapter 6 speaks to the height of faith. Chapter 7, which we are going to look at between now all the way up to Easter, speaks about the depth of justice. So please give your attention to Emily now as she reads for us from Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Listen, after every event, every news story, every game, there's a hashtag. We are hashtag crazy people. Hashtag girls night out, hashtag game night, hashtag Super Bowl 50, hashtag sermon intro. You know the hashtag, right? You know what hashtag is? Hashtag definition, please. A hashtag is a little number symbol that you put on all of your social media posts that help the rest of the world search that topic and find your incredible wisdom or your incredible night out or hashtag selfie, right? We are hashtag people. There is one enduring hashtag, though, that never goes out of style. Hash, okay, picture of a Big Mac and French fries, hashtag 14-hour day, hashtag don't judge. That's the hashtag that we can never say goes out of style. Hashtag selfie, hashtag don't judge. Hashtag um, Taylor Swift, picture of an old creepy man at a Taylor Swift concert, hashtag don't judge. Listen, hashtag don't judge is like the thing that you can put on everything, and it's your get out of fr your jail free card. It can be a horrible tweet or horrible post, but if you hashtag don't judge it, all of a sudden it becomes funny. Now, there is in the evangelical church, indeed in all of life for every single one of you, especially those of you who work in an office where it's very highly politicized and actually it's very highly indoctrinated, where you can do anything you want except judge somebody else. Indeed, the great unpardonable sin today is not blasphemy the Holy Spirit. 
It is, hashtag don't judge, judging someone else. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus takes this gospel and he narrows it down. He focuses it like a laser beam on one group of people who had set themselves up to be the judges in place of God. They were the Pharisees. They were the religious. They were, by their own definition, the conservatives. And they looked down their nose at everybody who did things different than they did. And Jesus goes right after them, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7. And he says, do not judge. So here's a question for us. How do we, today, obey this verse? I mean, it says don't judge, doesn't it? And then, of course, you keep reading, and it says, lest you also be judged. Let me talk about how it is impossible not to judge objectively. I'll take the emotion out of it, and then we'll talk about some practical ways to judge, because Jesus indeed does condone, even commands judging rightfully in this passage. Not long ago, I was at my high school reunion, and I reconnected with a friend named James, and James and I were talking about what had happened in our life, and he wasn't surprised to find that I was a minister, and we were talking about the gospel and our journeys and yada, yada, so on and so forth. And James wasn't a Christian. He was an agnostic. And we came upon the old great topic that is oh so divisive these days of homosexuality. And James just goes, there you go. The conversation was going great, Blake, until you started getting judgmental. And I looked at him and I said, would you say that that is wrong? Of course, it was a leading question. And he would say, of course it's wrong. Don't be judgmental. And I said, would, would you say that that is your morality? Yes, it is like, look, we can be cool. If you don't judge me, I won't judge you. Things will be fine. And I said, oh, so if I don't judge you and you don't judge me, things are going to be cool, right? Yes. Oh, okay. That offends me. Like, that offends me that you won't let me make a suggestion about what's moral, but I have to obey whatever your moral code is by not judging. In other words, your intolerance is intolerant. Is that what you're saying, James? And, of course, he knew me well enough to go, quit doing that. But the point was, it was impossible not to judge. It is impossible not to judge. You make value judgments all the time. Dare I say it, to judge is to be human. And Jesus knows that. But Jesus wants the church to recognize, his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 to recognize, there is a way of judging people that is so condescending, it is despicable. And there is a way to judge people and make a right judgment. John 7, 24 says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. How are we to do that? But before I get there, the reason why we are so averse to judging these days, well, there are many, many reasons why we're averse to judging. The reason why judging is such a hot-button issue for us is because we believe things like what this text says. People will say, well, listen, like the Bible tells us not to judge. It says that in Matthew 7, 1. It says, judge not. How 
much clearer could you get? That's true. It also says in James 4 that there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's true. It also says in Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's true. Or 1 Corinthians 4, 4. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. The great Russian author Leo Tolstoy said, because of these five verses that I've just read for you, there's no place for civil courts in Western society. Because you stand on the Bible, and the Bible clearly says, don't judge. What do you do with that? You're at work. You're having lunch, and somebody starts quoting this. Like, what do you do with that? Well, the first thing you do is you keep reading in Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus very clearly says, Judge not, that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it, it will be measured to you. These passages, all of them that I've just read, deal with how we are to evaluate and condemn sinful practices in our judgment. They do not condemn judging because, as I've said, it is objectively impossible not to judge. Well, some people will say, listen, judging is just unloving and cruel. If you reprove another person, it's labeled unkind. Criticism of any kind is offensive. But can rebukes be taken as acts of love? One of the greatest rebukes I'll ever, I'll ever, my parents are here, so I want them to hear this. One of the greatest rebukes I've ever received was from my older brother, my middle brother, who took me to dinner one night when I was young in my Christian faith. And he took me to dinner one night and just said, Blake, I want you to know, man, that it is cool and it is beautiful to know that you're a Christian. But it is not cool to be self-righteous about it. I'll never forget that conversation. And he called me out. I was young. I was barely in high school. And 25 years later, it still affects me. There is a way to rebuke someone that's beautiful and healing. Proverbs 27.5 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed because faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Or Proverbs 28, 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Ironically, it is the person who refuses to rebuke his brother, his Christian brother, who is actually the one who is heartless. This passage that Stephanie read that many of you thought, why in the world is she reading 1 Kings chapter 5 with all these funny names? This passage that Stephanie read is a passage where King David did not call out his son, Adonijah. It says he did not want to shame his heart, and so he remained silent. And Adonijah fell into a horrible sin, and the kingdom was threatened because he didn't have the audacity, even the courage, the boldness, the integrity to hold his own son's feet to the fire. 
And Absalom took justice into his own hands. Listen, some of you have family members who are living, you are, they claim to be Christians. And they are living so outside of what God calls us to do that you don't want to ruffle their feathers. I want you to know that that is, like, that is a loving thing to feel. You know that? It is lo- like you, you love them. That's why you think that. You love them. But I just want to encourage you to love them more. And be willing to help them have a heads up. Like if my mother were to walk out on a bridge that I knew was going to fall down at any moment, it would be cruel of me not to say, don't go out the bridge! But some of you, because of your own fear of rejection, don't want to say anything. And friends, this is extremely, extremely important that you hear me. The reason why a lot of us don't want to judge, we, we try to like put piety around it, but the truth of the matter is that you know this verse is true. Judge not lest you be judged. And when you shine a light on someone to help them, now I'm talking believer to believer here. When you shine a light on a fellow believer, it's like a mirror. You're going to get lit up. It's going to come back at you. And you can't talk about the log in their eye I mean, I'm sorry, the speck of sawdust in their eye, if you've got a gaping log out of yours. The reason why a lot of us don't like to rebuke is because, quite frankly, we just have our own pet sins that we prefer to keep hidden. And we just want to coddle them. And we don't want to rebuke. We don't want to offend them because we don't want to be offended. And we like these things that we keep to ourselves. Maybe this is just my own experience. I assume it's yours too. Sometimes people say, listen, love is the only thing that counts. Hashtag Super Bowl 50, hashtag believe in love halftime show. Listen, love is the only thing that counts. But what is love but mere sentimentality if it doesn't have truth with it? And that is where our conversation has to go. Yes, love those who are different than you. Yes. Open wide your arms to them because if it were not for the grace of God, you wouldn't be like them. You probably would be worse. Christians are in no way better people. We are just simply better off. And not because of anything that you've done. Because Jesus Christ drew you to himself in love. How else would you come to believe the gospel? I, you've heard my story. I've heard yours. You were kicking and groaning and running from him. And then one day, this gospel preached to you, man, it just clicked. And all of a sudden, believing in Jesus became precious and beautiful to you. You didn't choose that. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes to believe it. Love is the only thing that counts. Yes, if you understand that love is a person, not an idea. Love is historically rooted in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, how are you going to define love? What you really mean is freedom is the only thing that counts. And if you leave humanity without any self-restraint, listen, history is evidence that it will go nowhere good. 
You have to have objective truth to help you understand the boundaries of what's wrong with the world and how does it get fixed. And we believe that objective truth is in a person, Jesus Christ, who has given us through his Holy Spirit, through men moved by the Holy Spirit, his holy word. And no matter how you feel, we believe that the Bible has been clearly transmitted throughout the ages so that what you read in English is what the Quone Greek and the Hebrew originally said. And it is true. And we have to fight as a community to not just take verses out of context, like don't judge, hashtag don't judge, and be able to keep reading it so that we know how to rightly interpret it. And that's why the Lord gives us his church. Are you with me? Listen, we say the Bible says don't judge. It does say that, but it's speaking about the way that judging is sinful, not not objectively to cease from judging. We think that, listen, all we need is love. Well, that is true if you believe love is a person. Otherwise, what you're really saying is all you need is freedom to be who you are. And history has already shown us through the ages that if without moral restraint, our own human decadence will take the Western world in a place that is not good to go. What else? Well, we say, listen, judging is divisive. Well, if love is the only thing that counts, sacrifices um, truth on the altar of love, then the judging is divisive objection, sacrifices truth on the altar of unity. But Scripture holds both of those together. It says in Ephesians that you are to be unified. It says to remain steadfast in the truth in Galatians 5.1. It says to depart from all those who don't believe and practice the truth in 2 Thessalonians 3.14. It says in Philippians 1.27 that unity is based upon the truth for the purpose of defending the truth. Listen, judgment is necessary for biblical unity. What Jesus is getting at in this passage, I can go on with objections, but I won't. You have your own. What Jesus is getting at is that there is a way to judge other people where you look down your nose at them in a self-righteous, arrogant, proud way. And Jesus says that is sinful. Because who are you to ignore the log in your own eye and talk about the speck of sawdust in somebody else's. Do you know why? Do you know why they say that places like Owasso, Oklahoma, which from all practical purposes, you look around and go, oh my gosh, why would you want to plant a church in a town that's got so many churches? You know why people aren't coming to church? It's because of the self-righteousness of people in the church. And they look at the church and they go, why would I, I would rather spend my Sundays making pancakes with my family then subject my children to the arrogance of people like that. Isn't that true? And the more we as a church can recognize that we are the man, and the more that we can recognize our own tendency towards self-righteousness, the more we can actually begin to do what the Sermon on the Mount calls us to do, to be the people that God calls us to be. Like, I long, I long to struggle over sin, and I long for you to struggle over it too. And one of the chief sins that you and I struggle with, because we are the overchurched, we are the ones, many of us, who grew up in the church, we are the ones who left the church, because so many of us in Oklahoma were exposed to the church in an early day. 
the reason, the struggle with sin that we often have is the struggle of our own self-righteousness. And Jesus says, friends, judge, but make a right judgment. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Friends, how then are we to judge? If judging is impossible not to do, How then are we to judge? In a nutshell, we are to judge humbly because you are no better than those you judge. Hashtag humble. You are to judge humbly because you are no better than those you judge. I know it's early on a Sunday, but I'm going to say it again and just let it sit with you. You are to judge humbly because you are no better than those who judge. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount just exposed the Pharisees' hypocrisy as it relates to the way they give their money or the way that they pray. Oh, out in the open, Jesus says, go in the closet. Give. Listen, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Be generous. But don't flash it about town. When you fast, listen, Ladies, put your makeup on. Put your lipstick on. Fix your hair. Guys, take a shower. Look normal. Act normal. Don't say, oh, I'm sorry. I can't eat today. I am fasting. It's Lent. Don't you know that? Listen, that's not impressive. And Jesus is calling the Pharisees out for their cultural Christianity that has just gone so rampantly psycho that Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, then I want you to know that you must repent of your self-righteousness. And Jesus ultimately is killed for that because he attacked the one thing that the Pharisees could control, people's impression of them. And when Jesus threatened that, they killed him. We confessed our sins earlier today. Why do we do that? It's not because we're trying to be morbidly introspective. It's because we have a hard time knowing how to confess our sins because we, we don't ever stop to think about our sin. And we build it into the rhythm of our church service so that you can get into the habit of recognizing that as you grow older, you may actually be growing more, more morally virtuous, more generous in your giving, praying more often for your family, bolder in your evangelism, more faithful to reading scripture, all these great things. But you recognize in the depths of your heart, you actually are growing more and more sinful, just as the apostle Paul recognized. He said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle when he was, when he was a young man. And then he eventually said, what? I, friends, I'm to be pitied. And then he said before he died, I am the chief of sinners. Notice the migration of Paul's thinking from I'm not worthy to be an apostle till I am a worm and not even worthy to be called a man. I'm the chief of sinners. And as you and I are able to love other people, in this incredibly difficult, transgender, messed up world where people are making all kinds of choices that go beyond the bounds of what most of our sense of knowledge or how to um, equips us with, we need to know how to love people well, but also stand for the truth. And the first step to doing that 
is you judge humbly, recognizing that there is a log in your eye. There's a reason, as I said this morning in AM Discipleship, if you were there, why 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, comes before 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter where Paul says, I've already judged this man, but I'm calling you, church. Why are you sitting around letting a man commit immorality in your church and not judging him? And the apostle Paul calls out this church in Corinth for not judging their brother because it was the most unloving thing to do not just for him, but for everybody else in that church, for those children in the church growing up confused because this guy is obviously doing something that's very visible in public, but nobody seems to be saying anything. Is that right? Is that normal? And Paul says, no, you are to judge them rightly. In fact, Paul goes on to say, that you are to judge them rightly so much so that Christians are to hold their judgments within the church. No Christian should take a non-Christian to court. Civil court. You should be so concerned about helping shepherd each other that there's no need to get civil courts involved because you love each other well and you can hold each other's feet to the fire. John 7.24 says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. This judgment, this statement comes right after the Pharisees had misinterpreted uh, Jesus' law concerning the Sabbath, and they reemphasized the importance of uh, uh, living according to God's standards, and Jesus says to them, stop judging by mere appearances, make a right judgment. I am the Sabbath. Yes, you should keep the Sabbath. But you do not keep the Sabbath in order to please God. You keep the Sabbath because God is pleased with you. And you rest in his presence on Sunday. In 1 Samuel uh, 16, 7, God chose David over his brothers, much to the surprise of Samuel, much to the surprise of David's own family. And God makes this staggering statement. He says that it is God who judges the heart. Christians, you and I are not to put ourselves in the place of God and judge people's eternal destiny. That is not our place. That is what the Pharisees did, and they did it by looking at their outward behavior and saying, you're not listening to this podcast. I'm so sorry. You're not reading this blog. I'm sorry you don't measure up. I'm, you haven't read this book. You don't practice Sabbath. You don't go to church every week. And they were using it as a way to check off their morality. It is not our place to judge someone's eternal destiny. That is indeed the Lord's judgment. That's what those early verses I read to you about, not judging, were about. But it is our place not to judge attitudes and motives, but it is our place as Christians to be able to judge actions and behavior. We can't judge the internal, but we can judge the external. And we can help younger brothers and sisters who are walking outside the bounds of what Scripture teaches to help show them what the Bible teaches. Indeed, we are commanded to do that. Are you able to do that? Sometimes when you try to do that, Jesus says, you're going to be rejected. He says this in Mark chapter 10. He says this in Acts 13. He says this, uh, Titus uh, says this in uh, 
his uh, first chapter. Listen, you warn somebody once or twice if they don't listen to you, you separate yourself from them. Paul said that the Jews rejected him in Acts 13, so he turned his attention to the Gentiles. There are some times when you're going to try to warn a brother or a sister, and it's going to be like throwing diamonds to pigs, throwing pearls to swine, and they're going to reject it. And they're going to look at you and say, quit with the Christianity stuff. And friends, that's what Jesus says. He was telling the Pharisees again and again through parables and then through this entire sermon preached to his disciples, but the Pharisees heard it. Repent of your self-righteousness. And they refused to hear it. And Jesus says to his disciples, you know what that's like? That's like throwing pearls to pigs. Sometimes people are going to reject your rebukes. And when they utterly reject it, it is okay to walk. You don't ever stop loving them. But you know from your own experience, there are sometimes you try to talk to somebody and they just fiercely refuse to listen. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and they turn and attack you. And friends, I want you to know that we are to judge only after humbling ourselves. We are to judge rightly and correctly. We are to judge according to God's standards. We are to judge outward behavior, actions, and speech, never internal motivations, because you do not know why they do what they do. You think you do, but you don't. And the reason we can do that, Rebecca Pippert wrote a book one time, called Hope Has Its Reasons. And in this book, she tells a story about walking into um, a, a courtroom and they were just about to pronounce the sentence of a young man who had committed a horrible crime. And the judge stands up and he pronounces the sentence. And just before he stands up to pronounce the sentence, in the back row was a parent of this child and all you could hear was them sobbing for their child weeping for their child. And Rebecca Pippert said, nobody knew what to do because there was at the same moment the need for justice and the incredible brokenheartedness of a parent for their son about to justly be condemned. And friends, that is the picture of the gospel. That Jesus Christ on that cross takes a sentence that should have been yours upon himself. And his father was both the judge and the justifier, Romans chapter 3 says. And he had to pronounce the sentence upon his own son, and yet at the same time, he sobbed so hard that it says in Scripture that he turned his face from his son. From all eternity, they enjoyed each other's gaze, and the father turned his face from Jesus. Do you know why he did that? He did that because he loved you. And he loved you. And he loved you. Jesus took the judgment upon himself that you and I justly deserved. And the Father wept over it. And those of us who believe in Christ's finished work are freed from the guilt of our sin, but not from its grip. And we struggle over sin still, and we will until he comes again. That is the reason and the power with which we go and love the world. We have had our sins 
taken away. And not only that, but Jesus has covered up us with his righteousness. And we should therefore, out of love for his kingdom and for the world, not be so concerned with stuff. That's what the Pharisees were concerned about in Matthew chapter 6. But to go and to make a right judgment and to help hold each other's feet to the fire. Hashtag almost done. Friends, the role of community groups in our church is to help you have a place where there's a social space where you can begin to live in to having friends, to talk about life together. They don't always have to be theologically heavy meetings, but we do want them to be a space where eventually you're able to know each other well enough to hold each other's feet to the fire. And if you're not in a community group yet, I really commend them to you. You'll find information about them on the table. You'll find the information on our website. Loneliness is a very, very difficult master. And the church of Jesus Christ is to be the one place where you feel lonely no more. But that's not possible for the lonely in this church if you're going around reminding them of what a sinner they are. You ought to be the first person to repent. And the joy of coming to the Lord's table, as we're going to do in just a moment, is that we come as broken sinners. And we come knowing that the judgment that was due to us because of our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ, who forgave us of our sin and then clothed us with his righteousness. So when the Father looks at us now, he doesn't look at us with white, hot judgment that we deserve in hell for all eternity. He looks at us with the loving embrace of a heavenly Father who cares for you. And he knows your anxieties, and he wants you to run to this table now and commune with him. Friends, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Oh, Jesus, would you help us as a church to recognize our own struggle with self-righteousness and to judge rightly by pointing the finger first to ourself, taking the log out of our own eye, and then being able to bring awareness to the speck that is in our brother's eye. Would you do this, Father, for your glory's sake, for the good of the church, for our generation, and for the next. And Father, would you help us to get out of the way so that those who are outside of the church might see the beauty of your finished work for us, Lord Christ. That is good news indeed. Amen.